Welcome to this episode of Exceptionals, a show delving into the mind of extraordinary individuals doing exceptional things. I had the opportunity to meet with stand-up comedian, writer, director, producer and musician Gabrielle Rossi. We discussed Gabrielle's brush with death as a toddler, his disaster of a first gig and his next 20 years wasted in the comedy business. Gabrielle's words, not mine. And his preparations for his upcoming show, a very woggy Christmas comedy gala with George Capanaris. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Gabrielle Rossi. Off in Dandenong, went yes. to Chadston Shopping Centre. Then I just came to North Melbourne to go to the Comics Lounge, just drop in there. I had to go to Flemington to pick something up and then I came here. So I have, and then I'm going back, and that's from Bacchus Marsh. Bacchus so Marsh. So I've actually traversed all of Melbourne. I kind of spoke to you about Bacchus Marsh. And I love it, man. We're on now. Uh, Gabrielle Rossi, comedian, musician, entertainer, master of ceremonies. Sometimes. Very proud Italian and Australian. Sometimes. Italian-Australian. <laughs> who doesn't drink coffee. No. What is the situation there for starters? Before we get on to Bacchus Marsh. We never got into the coffee. That's it. I, uh, everyone around me drink. You know what? When I walk past the Gloria Jeans or one of those sorts of places, I see them all lined up for coffee. You know what's going through my mind? Is this. <laughs> right, okay. That's what I'm thinking. They're all, I don't like it. I don't understand. I, don't, I reckon half the people that drink it don't like it. They just drink it because everyone else drinks. Is that a Gloria Jeans in particular or I'm like just a Starbucks? As an, or? as an example, just any coffee shop, you just mm. see these big queues. You know how long it takes to make a coffee? Money, they're waiting, mate. I see, mate, who, who can be bothered waiting for a coffee, mate? Like when I go to Macca's, right? And yes. I want to sausage and egg muffin yes I have quality to wait. these bananas have, yeah exactly the, these bananas are making a coffee for this other yes. banana and i have to wait for my muffin piss off and get your coffee mate make your own coffee but do you want them to buy their coffee from an established coffee house or you're upset that they're getting a coffee of all places mcdonald's well all of the above all i'm saying is that and what about when you're at a venue doing a show and they're making a coffee and you're on stage oh. and you hear i can imagine no nah, i'm over coffee all right, so that's it for the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably the only Italian that I know that doesn't... Uh... Well, a, a friend of mine once told me that because I don't drink coffee and I don't drink alcohol, or vino in particular, yes. he reckons I'm not an Italian. And I said, no, I'm, I'm a very staunch Italian. He goes, well, prove it. And I said, well, last year I gave my dad four demerit points. A very good. And loyal, yeah, loyal. That, well, that's a, that's a very Italian trait that's, right there. That's a good son. Now, speaking about not being uh, a staunch Italian, uh, Bacchus Marsh. Yes. Well, I mean, how oh. many Italians are in Bacchus Marsh, for goodness sake? I don't know. I don't think there's many, but I don't think I'm the only one. But there's, but, yeah, you're right. I remember when I first looked at moving there and I was talking to some of the locals. And what I'm about to say is 100% true. Okay. okay. So there's a, a lady probably in her 50s, maybe early 60s at worst. And I said, what's it like here? And she was an Aussie lady, an Anglo-Aussie lady. She goes, yeah, it's pretty good. There's no Muslims here yet. <laughs> I shit you not, that's what she said, right? And I'm not saying that for effect. I'll be honest with you. I was actually taken aback by the comment. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, sometimes us people that live in the city mm. have to not, how can I say it? We don't, we don't like hearing stuff like that, mm. but we have to understand there's people in the world that think like that. Yes. All right? So as much as I didn't like it, Mm. I, I thought, all right. You know, she, and then she actually said, oh, but you Italians are all right. Now. Now well, we are. Now we are. Now we are. Well, don't get me wrong, though. In 30 years from now, they'll probably be saying the same about the Muslim community. They'll be all right, yes. You Muslims are all right. But those next guys, whoever they'll be, not so. 
So this local of uh, Bacchus Marsh, yes. she was your before you'd actually moved in. Oh, or mate, we... I was up there on other business. Yes, and I was saying to this lady, I'm thinking of moving up here, and that's we got to talking, and that was one of the statements she made. Which I've got to be honest, I actually laughed, but that's just, yeah, that's because I've got a sick sense of humour. Okay, so where whereabouts did you grow up though? Glenroy, Glenroy, okay. Glenroy, Melbourne. Strong, yeah. strong foothold. Of the Italian community, reasonably yeah. northern suburbs, not as big as Faulkner. If you remember Faulkner, of course, I 60, sixty percent Italians in Faulkner wow. in the seventies and eighties. I yes. remember that. Yeah, and uh, your folks have been there. Dad's still there. Mum passed on sadly, but okay. Dad's just turned eighty. Okay, and he's been in the house that he's on since nineteen seventy-two, which was me as a one-year-old. I was actually not born in Melbourne. Okay, so where were you born? Orbost. Okay. Or Boston, Victoria, because my family first settled in in Victoria. In well, there was some in Orbost, some in Lakes Entrance. We had a family farm in Nungurna. We were dairy farmers, apparently. The old Ross. So I'm actually a Rossignolo. Is okay. My, is my real heritage. Yes. But um, yeah, I changed it to Rossi for the stage because I've got a theory that Aussies can't handle more than five letters at a time. Yes. So I made it easy, right? Yes. But, um, so, but at the age of six months, me, I got bad gastro. And from Orbost, my parents had no choice but to rush me to the Fairfield Hospital, uh, obviously thinking, no, I wasn't going to make it. And if you know the distance and the roads in those days, probably not as good as now. It took my dad about three hours to get me there. And that's that's pushing 400 kilometres. That's hike. So he, and my dad is the biggest chicken shit driver you'll ever meet. Yes. But apparently that day, he actually was averaging speeds of 130 k's an hour all the way into into Fairfield to get me there. So they made a decision that, you know, I got sick and if anything like that happens again, they want to be in the city. So initially they moved to Faulkner uh, with my auntie who yes. had a house there. They all lived in one big house, just like we laugh at the next generation of people that are now doing that. Yes. That's how we saved our money. Of course. And then we, a year or so later, or even less, we bought a house in Glenroy. I think my dad paid $17,000 for that house. That was my next question. Our parents are very good at bragging how little they paid for their house and how quick they paid it off. They did pay it off within 10 years, I believe. Yes. so that's 1982, I believe they paid it out. Unheard of in today's... Uh, no. your, what do your folks... Does your dad have any opinion about taking out a 30-year loan to buy, pay, buy a house? Oh, mum, mum handled the money, to yeah. be honest. So I don't think... Well, yeah, I mean, if I... If I told my dad how much I owe on my house, he'd have a conniption. You know? <laughs> yeah, he, he's not very, very simple when it comes to money, Dad. Mum actually ran all the banking and everything. So when Mum passed on, I had to teach my dad. Now, uh, can I ask, all boss to Fairfield, if we can go back to that story yes. of uh, taking your the Concord, uh, yeah, pretty much, the Rossi yeah. Concord to yeah. uh, no hospitals in Gippsland or all boss? Apparently, or, I was just told, or family was just told that you got to get him to the Fairfield because I had like really, really high-level bad gastro. Mm. And they just said that we don't have the facility to treat. And if you wait for an ambulance, you might not make it. So, and apparently I lost half my body weight in that trip. Wow. You know, so I was like a skin and bones kid by the time they got, and they reckon my eyeballs had turned blue. Me. Yeah, no, they, they thought they were going to lose me. They really did. So, anyway. So that was... Um, 1971. 1971. Yeah, I was born in February 1971, so I was around... I was about six or seven months old, so it was so, lovely. Wow. So it was pretty much the... Uh, th was it a doctor or something that actually advised your parents to I take you so. to Fairfield? I, or was it uh, like the next-door neighbour? No, 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 no. I believe Bay it would have been... They would have gone to a doctor and the doctor would have said, get him get him into town, I'm sure. Yeah. So y the influence of your parents oh. on, your, on your comedy... Um, well, Dad, no, nah, none, because he's boring. Right. Like, seriously. 
I can tell you right now what my dad's doing. He's in the garden right now. Okay. I don't know, but I know because he's there. That's what he does. He's got a big veggie patch in his Glenroy garden. So my dad's routine of the day hasn't changed since I've known him since I was a little kid. And he can't tell a, a joke like to save his life. And when he tells a story, he's, he's the one that goes, you know, to Adelaide via Hong Kong. Right, okay. Like, so, you know, th like this is one of my dad's stories, you know. One day, uh, it was a Thursday, but it could have been a Wednesday or maybe a Tuesday. And I'm like, Dad, what happened? <laughs> and he, says, he just said nothing from Dad. Mum was the one. Mum was funny. Really? So, oh, man, yeah, nuts. So did your mum have any um, – did she perform? No, at, no performing. Uh, she was just a – Big, loudmouth shit stirrer. Yes. And like even a mad Carlton supporter was my mum. We used to actually go to the footy. Mum yes. used to go flat out. And to the point where she was so vocal that it wasn't unusual for her to have verbal stouches with a lot of opposition supporters. She just had no no filter. Yes. Just spoke her mind. Didn't like someone. She would tell them. And, you know, she was funny, but not in a funny sense of like being able to construct a gag or anything like that. She just had a way about her that was just in your face and it come off as quite funny more often than not because she would just say the first thing that popped into her head. You'd find that these days that's quite refreshing though. Oh, yeah. That someone's not bullshit. Well, now. she wasn't PC, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. And like I remember when we were at a party once and some dude's gate crashed this. It was a New Year's Eve party and I just remember my mum chasing these big blokes down the driveway just going mental, telling them, telling everyone how much these guys stunk. Yes. Because you know, they'd been drinking, you know, and just get out of here, you dickheads. And they were pretty much scared of her even though she was five foot tall. As you do, but yeah. the uh, the bite, the bark oh, yeah, is yeah, worse yeah. than oh, the bite. Yeah. No, she was she was totally outspoken, pretty funny lady. She was slightly different in terms of some Italians that I know. She actually came to Australia pretty much not knowing anyone. Mm -hmm. Her sister was here but lived far away, but my dad sort of was established here. Mm -hmm. He actually went back to sort of hook up with her and then they came over. So... She was very isolated in all of us, knew nobody. So mum actually learned English correspondence. So okay. she, you know, she was quite motivated. Mm, mm. And, you know, so, you know, like even in her later years, for example, if any of her relatives who weren't well spoken in English needed help, she would do interpreting, whether it be court, doctors, whatever. So, yeah, mum was very cluey, very good, very smart lady. But when she got sick, you know, the, the world just stopped for her. She got very angry. You know, mm. She got, got cancer and just instead of, I don't know, putting up a fight, she sort of... I don't know the world. The world's a prick of a place, and she went sort of into her shell a bit, which was a shame. That was a surprise to me, actually. Her thoughts on your career choices. Well, in well, let's say when I started comedy, I had a full-time job and did so for the first seven or eight years. Um, mum, mum was always like any Italian mum would always lose sleep over the notion that you know was her son earning enough money to get by. Yep. So I think as long as mum knew that I had money coming in. Even though they did question my choice to get into comedy, mm. it was a simple case of, yeah, I understand that, that you're concerned, guys, but I'm actually working. Mm. I'm still, I still have a job. Mm. And when I took the plunge of you know, giving away the normal job, I guess, so to speak, you know, I was already at a stage where there was money rolling in. And I must admit, though, this is a, I wasn't sure if my dad really was following what I was doing or whether he was even proud of it. But I do remember one day when mum was you know, in hospital and dad was talking to a nurse and I was in the next room and I overheard my dad. And this is after me being doing comedy for possibly nine, nine or so years. I just remember him saying to the nurse, that's my son. You know, do you know, do you know Gabriel Rossi, the comedian? Yeah. Have you heard of him? Yeah. She, she's like, nah. 
never heard of him. But, you know, at least I heard him say that. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought, but I thought it was funny that A, she hadn't heard of me and my dad was trying to talk me up. And B, I didn't even think he, you know, I can look you in the eye, Sam, and tell you that my dad's never been to a show. Okay. Yeah, and that's 20 years in comedy. He's, he's seen me DVDs. He's had a look. Yes. But he's never actually been in a room where I've performed comedy. So what were you doing full time so pre- previous? I, I, left, I left school and I got into uni but never went. I decided to take on a job in the bank and that was going to be temporary, but as you do, you work in that for four or five years. Got out of the bank and then I got into sales. And sales is, yeah, I've got a flair for it. I'm very good at selling. And this day and age, even though I'm a full-time comedian, I also run a promotions business promoting the comics lounge. So I've actually combined my sales experience. I've got a crew of sales guys who go around selling discounted tickets for okay. the comics lounge. So yep. when I'm quiet with gigs, because it does happen, you know, sorry to, sorry to tell all the people out there that unfortunately you don't have 10, 10 gigs a week every week. Yep. It doesn't happen. Um, so every now and then I might have a bit of a lull. So I've always got that little little business ticking over. But it's also something I'm passionate about, and that is, you know, the survival of live comedy in Australia or in Melbourne. You know, it's very important. So. You've left. You left the bank. That was yep. your. That was the job before. Yeah, but well, I was only. What was I? Twenty one. Still, I was still very young. I and didn't start comedy until I was about twenty five. So le- the sales job. Yep. Got w- into office supplies. Yeah. Office supplies. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. So that office supplies then straight in. Is well, that the office the- supplies was that that sort of took me from ninety two to about two thousand and three. Yep. And I, a couple of different companies that I worked with it for, and um, yeah, had a good time with it. But then I had to, I guess, make some sort of a decision. You know, how how do I how do I advance my comedy any further than what I'm doing now? I mean, there's only so much you can do when you have a full-time job. And it's it's really weird because I advocate for all the new guys, stay in your job as long as you can until such time that you really know that you're going to be right without mm. it. I probably wasn't quite there yet, but you know, the opportunity to work as a full-time comic, but also I had a little bit of opportunity to do a bit of promotional work mm. for the Comics Lounge, mm. kind of like, sort of saw it as an opportunity i took it and yeah i haven't looked back now i run now i run six other reps going around promoting comedy and that's something i was doing as a hobby at one stage but now it's lucrative enough to want to keep doing it you know so at the time you were juggling you did yeah. you work full-time yep. you're working obviously majority of I your mean, gigs, most, all of gigs you, most of the gigs you're doing in those days are not paid yeah okay. you know, all these little club gigs where you get jumping up and doing five minutes you know mm. they're not giving you money for that but you've got to do that. You have to go through that because if you don't, you know, you, you're just going to be a, a one-trick pony. You know, you've mm. got to work all the rooms in front of all the different people. See, a lot of people obviously associate me with the Italian community and obviously they, they see me. I've got a woggy style of comedy, no doubt. But I can work in front of all Aussies, non-Italians because I've cut my teeth doing the circuit. You know, so mm. I can I can jump in and out of both pools. It's very, mm. very important. Mm. So I always make that point that whilst the new guys coming through aren't getting any money, they've got to do that. They've got to go through it. So this um, uh, that was a question that I had in regards to how much above and beyond do you have to go? Um, how much? How many gigs do you have to give for free? Or how much work do you have to do where you're not getting paid? Or when do you get the shit? When do you stop getting the shit money? Or you know, I mean, is well, the there... shit money still comes occasionally? Yeah. Like, like I mean, look, I got to weigh up a lot of. You know, if I was a single man, even at my age now, in my mid forties, right? If I was a single guy, I'd still be out every night jumping up doing gigs, whether it's free or not, because I'd be wanting to just try new shit over and over. And you, you, you know, isn't you can you can sit at home in front of the mirror and write down material and try it out on yourself, but until you do it in front of an audience, you don't really know if it's going to work. So I'm I'm lucky in a sense that pretty much I can use Comics Lounge 
there's a venue that I perform at regularly and I can jump up once or at least once a week, twice a week, just to try out some new material. So I've sort of got that base covered. But if I had my way, because all the new younger comics coming through, and even some of the more established ones, mate, they try and jump up every night. So there could be some little pub gig with 10 people in the room where no one's getting paid, but they want to get up in front of an audience just to try some material out. So sometimes to answer your question is possibly never to some extent. You know, I mean, like, a true comedian, you, you tell him tomorrow he's not going to be making any more money. He's not going to stop because mm. we don't do it. I mean, we, we you know, I'm, look, I'm a businessman now and I've got my family and I need money. But the, my motivator is is making people laugh. And at the end of the day, you know, you take the money away. I'll still want to do it. It'll probably break my heart, but I'll still want to do it, you know. So you never stop doing the free gigs altogether. But in terms of how long was it before I was earning decent money, in short, I would probably use, say, 10 years where I was actually going, okay, that was a decent year. So the club promoters, they're obviously aware that it's a love thing for you guys. It, and these guys are trying to run a business because they've got to pay the rent, they need the bar to, the, the, the bar to tick over, the ticket sales. And it, you must get some guys that you love in the industry and they treat you like a son, yep, if that's possible. Definitely. And you get the ones that absolutely <laughs> churn you out just because well, they Sam, can. You're, you're 100% right. Um, but you've got to do the math sometimes. Let, let's be realistic. You know, there, there are a lot of people out there that are probably in the, that, that frustrating phase of the, their career where they're getting good laughs, getting really good responses, got a really good show put together, but they can't get the cash coming through, right? Mm. But how do you expect to be paid, for example, if you go to a pub gig and there's no, no charge at the door, let's say, because a lot of them, they don't even charge entry, and there's only 20 people in the room and you're performing with six or seven other comedians. I mean, realistically, okay, you could argue, well, if the publican's fair dinkum about wanting comedy there, he should put up a bit of cash for mm, it, right? Mm. But even then, what are you going to take home? 20, 30 bucks? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. you just got to do the math sometimes. The only time I'd have a problem is if I'm getting up in front of 500 people, mm. everyone's drinking themselves silly and they're charging 30 bucks at the door mm. and the guy says, I've got no money to pay you tonight. Then you know something's not right. Yeah. You know? So you just got to look at it logically. Look at it gig by gig. You can't look at it as an overall thing. Um, but yeah, there are com there are certainly places that have really good you know, culture where they look after you and they make you feel valued. And then there's clicks in our industry, like any other industry. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that bugs me the most about the comedy industry is all the little clicks that form and little alliances. And to some extent, the left-wing nature of, of the arts. So when you're, talk, when you're talking about the cliques, you're talking about groups of comedians? Not so instance, much comedians or, even. It's even people above that. Like, for example, you know, your, your, your festival types. You mm. know, they're all, they've all got this little socialist mentality and they certainly like gravitate towards some comedians and then some comedians, they say, no, they're not our type. And right. It just doesn't, doesn't sit with me because fun is fun. Fun is funny. All right. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but it doesn't work, unfortunately, in, in their eyes. I've had instances not so much myself because i've always to be fair i've kind of stayed out of that yeah but you know there's a very i won't name anyone but there's a very famous overseas anyway he's quite famous comedian and he he's been here several times got a massive following and he's even popular in america and the uk mm. and there was the, the the head of the comedy festival said some very negative things about this guy and he's a great act but he's also edgy as buggery and i yep. understand that he's not for everyone as far as taste goes because he's he's a little crude very controversial mm. brilliant comedian though mm. and like i said he's a, he's one of australia's most successful exports and for that person to denigrate this guy because they don't think that comedy is to their taste so that's 
if you're running a comedy festival, that's not for you to make ah, a judgment. Right. Yep. You just put the shows on and let the people judge, you know? This guy would have sold enough tickets. He d and he turned around to the festival people and said, I don't need you guys. You know, so this is sort of crap that mm. I just hate about my industry. I hate it with a passion, you know? Like, it just shouldn't be like that. So is it a personal issue? Uh, I think it is. That's the thing. Like as a person of what the comedian actually uh, talks about, talks yeah. about yeah. or is it him no, 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 as it a is. person? No, no, no. Probably this person probably wouldn't even know personally that other person would probably just look at the act and the content, and because they might make a judgment call, maybe a joke might might be have a, a misogynist mm. side to it, uh, a, a joke might have a racial overtone or anything that they don't approve of. So that's the PC in, involvement here. There mm. is there is an element of that. Me, you know, if anyone if anyone in the industry comes up to me and says, oh, I don't think you're very politically correct i'm like i'm well aware of that i don't mm. need you to tell me that that's mm. actually what i do mm. and they're like well aren't you going to do anything about it well no because that's what i do and if you don't like it i don't care mm. it's not my job so and i think as an artist you've got to be like that mm. but see the thing is you know it's it's weird how <laughs> their own mates that they like gravitate towards They'll come out and do something really edgy and they'll go, oh, wow, look at him taking a risk. How, how, how brave. Yes. And then someone like me who's on the outer, for example, or just does my own thing and doesn't really subscribe to all that stuff. Oh, he's being racist again or something like that. Right, and it okay. just does my head in, man, that double standard. It's really weird. So it's, it's a matter of when you talk about PC, is it being true to yourself? You think it's funny because funny is funny. I'm 100%. And, and you hope that the but people... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to talk about a subject that I'm not an authority on mm. either. So, for example, if I'm going to be politically incorrect and talk the wog thing, well, hey, I've got it covered, haven't I? Yeah. You know, if I decided tomorrow to write a routine about taking heroin, well, I wouldn't know the first thing about that. Mm. And I think the audiences would go, even though they don't necessarily know why they're not laughing... Mm. They, they wouldn't laugh because mm. deep down, they wouldn't believe me. They yes, would, okay. They would not buy into my story because they know that it's not real. So when you're writing comedy, for instance, uh, it's always better to have written it from an experience mm. that you can, from your heart, Absolutely. pretty much. Absolutely. I mean, sorry, just chewing ice now. <laughs> my wife hates that. No, no, you know what this I do. To your wife, is she listening? She'll probably listen right now. What's no, her my first wife name? doesn't listen to me at the best of times. Right, so okay. She probably won't shoot pennies. Her name. Oh, Penny. I'm going to send her this part here. <laughs> at about 22 minutes in Penny. No, but we uh, go to movies, Gab right? Ice. I like. I like to buy a big, like, <laughs> big Coke, and I make them fill it half with ice, and I always make sure that you know I like, drink as much of the ice, uh, the, the Coke as I can. So when people talk about having an ice problem. I got a different kind of ice. Right, okay. I actually like the stuff you can crunch. So my, I, my and I know my wife. She, she hates it. Well, Penny, uh, <laughs> well, I'll I'll send her this excerpt right here, twenty two minutes, and uh, I'm sure she'd appreciate that very much. As a phone, you could probably change into a phone tone. Yeah, the a, ice, a, a dial oh, yeah, tone. Yeah. Crunch, I reckon crunch, that'd be. Crunch, I reckon crunch. that'd be like chalk. You know, like fingernails on a chalkboard. Mm. That would be like me, me chewing ice. Actually, you know what? I think me breathing makes her feel the same way. <laughs> Have you got a wife that's like that for you as well? Is she a bit like, you know, a bit, bit sort of, you know, every time you open your mouth, like, shut up. Uh, at times, you know, let's yeah, yeah. Uh, not go there. We're not talking about my wife. <laughs> All right. It's about you today. Nothing about me. I've been told, never talk about yourself when you're doing an interview. It's always right. about you. Okay. I, know, I, I wouldn't know about that because I always talk about myself. Good. That's that's what I want today. Now. Enough uh, about me. What do you think and, of me? Uh, well, forget about it. Put me on the spot here. Now, that's 23 minutes I'll have to cut out, Gabby, to save my life. Now, um, 
I want to go back. 90, sure. When you were juggling your work. So from 96 to, say, 2003, yeah. It's, were you getting uh, days off work or leaving no, early? Really, were nah. you crafting? I mean, you obviously... Look, you, you really only do gigs of the night time. Yeah. All right? And I mean, let's face it. Back in those days, what was I doing? Jumping up and doing 10 minutes max. Yeah. You know, so I wasn't doing any long shows. It wasn't until um, about 2000, 2001... So Joel Vardy and I met at the end of 99 and, you know, heard about this guy and I didn't know much about him, but, you know, he seemed like a nice enough bloke. One thing I will say about Joe, follows through, you know, he's says he's going to do something, it's going to get, you know, it's pretty much going to get done, right? Or at least for the most part. But he met me at the end of 99 and said, I'm doing a tour next year and I'm looking for a support act. You know, I'd like to have you on board. I'll be honest with you. I, my first thought was, hey, I'll believe that when I see it. Right. Phone call came like two weeks later and bang, all these dates. So then I had to start, you know, talking to the boss saying, I oh, can I have this Friday off? Mm. So that was, a, it wasn't too bad though. Cause it wasn't, most of the stuff was, you know, weekends, but we did have a few interstate Friday gigs. So that it became a bit of an issue, but no, he was pretty good at the time. The boss that I worked for at the time, but I, I got to admit that in the back of my mind, like I still remember the, the, the weeks leading up to me quitting was, um, so the phone rings, my mobile. And my boss is standing not far away. And it's a it's a call inquiring about my services as a comedian. Right. So I take down the details. I didn't spend too much time on it. But then overcomes the boss. He goes, look, we've got to stop doing that. And I'm like, but my figures, you know, which is as a salesperson is everything I would have thought. I said, well, my figures are pretty good, don't you think? Mm. Yeah, but it's not the point. And it is the point because I'm a sales guy. I'm, I'm here to sell. And mm. this isn't affecting that. You know, I might still make budget most months, whatever. And he's like, yeah, but the other guys see you doing it. I said, well, what, what are they, what, why are you worrying about them for? I mm. said, if they're worried about what I'm doing, you should talk to them. Anyway, and then I looked at him and I remember saying, I said, now, I've been working here five and a half years and I've invited you to a few shows, have I not? Yeah. Have you ever been to any? No. Nah. I said, well, that says a lot really, doesn't it? I said, anyway, no worries. And you know, in the subsequent weeks after that, I got to thinking, I think these guys don't really give a shit about me. They... I'm I'm a veritable asset to them because I sell a lot, but I didn't feel from that point forward, I started to really think that it's, there's no value here and I could sit there making them money and I make decent money myself. That's so it wasn't like I was working for free, but philosophically it didn't feel right. And um, yeah, eventually I just, it was, oh mate, when I quit, I shit myself. I'll tell you straight. Really? Oh, absolutely. Like, what am I going to do? I've got a mortgage and you know. Okay. I thought yeah. maybe to, to give him the, to give him the news. No, uh, no, no, that no, you're no, gonna quit. no, no, I quit and then shit myself. <laughs> okay. Does that make sense? Like I walked out and go, what the hell have I I've just done? I've done that. Now shit yourself. What have I done? What do I do now? I'm, I remember, I remember the day. Um, and I also remember how, so I'm mad keen golfer, right? Yep. So where, where I used to work was on Flemington road. So a couple of minutes up the road was the Royal Park golf course. I mean, mm. it's, a, it's a goat track. Of a golf uh, I was going to say it's world-class, uh, yeah, for real. someone like you handicapper four still. Correct. Yes, that is true. That's impressive. Um, but the thing is like. I just needed to clear my head, you know. Look, I was very lucky though, because I still don't get me wrong. At the end of the nine holes, you know, then I had to go home and explain. I was that was that was when I was still with. Was I still with my first wife? Yeah, I believe I was. When did that happen? It was about two thousand one. Well, we broke up at the end of two thousand and two, so yeah, it must have been must have been just around that time. And I remember having to go home to explain to her that I don't have a job, you know, and what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, within a week. Um, yeah, I got to talking to the guys from the comics lounge and they said, go out and sell for us because they had a sales door-to-door -door yes, crew. Yes, and, yes, yes. Um, I'll do that until I'll sort something out. 
<laughs> it's 2016. I'm still doing it. So with your wife at the time, yes, you didn't discuss with her. I'm walking out, or you didn't have any thoughts. It, it must ca- been... happened pretty quick. So, yeah. so in short, not really. I don't okay. think she was of any under any illusion that I was kind of a bit over it, a bit unhappy. Um, but to be honest, that was also the last year of our marriage. So, you know, things were probably on the way down with that as mm. well. Yeah, it's funny how all that sort of pans out. But at the end of the day, yeah, look, I didn't look back. I started doing some work for the Comics Lounge. It was actually making, ended up making the same money that I was making at the other job. So I just kept doing that. And then I was, I had that flexibility then because mm. it was one of those commission sales jobs that Mark can't work next week. I'm going to Sydney for a week to do some comedy. Yeah, no problem. It was like that, you know, it was really flexible and casual kind of thing. So I was able to use that to actually, um, you know, get out and about, go interstate, do more work. I also found it was a, a long way to do it, I've got to add, but a bit of a profile builder. You'd go yep. and introducing yourself to people and then yep. you seem pretty funny, mate. When are you on? Yeah, you know, I'll buy some tickets and you know, yes. I'll come and see one of your shows. Great. So, you know, a lot of people started to learn about who this Gabriel Rossi idiot was, right? So they'd come to me shows. And also in 2001, we started a show called The Woggy Christmas Show, which was just one night, one night in, at the end of December. And we did it like that for about four or five years. And then it just got bigger. And now, I mean, not so much this year. We've scaled it back a little bit this year. But last year we did Sydney and Adelaide mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, and this year I've got George Capanaris. Last year we had George and Tahir. Joel Vardy's done it a couple of times, you know. So... It's on again next week, and um, you know that was one of the things uh, that you can actually do when you've got the time to, you know, sort of de- dedicate properly to it. Yeah. So with that leap of faith, let's say you obviously mm-hmm. backed yourself in to quit your job, uh, well, Joe Vardy opportunity. Well, I mean, there was some paid work coming in in those days. Mm. Um, you know, Joe certainly helped, um, but yeah, I don't. Looking back, I don't think it was like that wise that makes sense like you know when you think back to a lot of things in life you think oh maybe i should have sucked it up a bit and you know toughed it out a bit but i don't know look i, I must say though that in my life in general like just in normal day-to-day work every time i've lost or quit a job i've ended up in a better one mm. or at least in a better spot if that makes sense and yeah that's no different i mean look going around selling tickets to comedy as hard as people think of door-to-door selling is a i've never had a problem cold calling but selling something you believe in yes. and give a stuff about yes. is really, it's its almost a pleasure to do. Almost. I mean, there are still some days I want to punch some idiot in the head. But generally speaking, I'm happy to talk to people. Most 95 plus percent of people are actually very respectful, mm. very nice. Even if you're a daughter or salesman, even if they're the sort of people that are put out by that, they're still polite. So um, I've got a lot of faith in human beings for that reason, uh, from doing that job. And yeah, like I said, I... I to be honest with you, most times of the day, I walk around telling jokes to people. Yes. I go into people's doorways. They figure out I'm a comedian and I can say funny stuff because they're expecting it. And sometimes I even come up with new material. You know, I actually wrote a joke about door-to-door selling, which kills. And it goes like this. It's, uh, I recently got a job selling no hawker signs door-to-door. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Every bloody second door has yes. got them. And, you know, people, people are funny about that stuff. Like most people don't even ring it up, but they've all got them. Mm. every doorway's got mm. like something oh we don't and you walk in and in a lot of cases it's like hi how you going guys i'm here from the comics lounge you know and they might raise the sign and i might say look yeah i saw it but the thing is i just thought there's anyone here that likes comedy and you know what their, their complexion changes because mm. i reckon they're more put out by you know those guys going around trying to 
sign you up to a new power deal or or phone companies or whatever. Cheap like, calculators. It, yeah, well, there's the, actually, you don't see a lot of that anymore, I've yeah. noticed. But you might even find that um, even the charity workers make them feel a little bit awkward mm. as well. Mm. But when, when I come along, for the most part, they're all right. I mean, there's a, obviously a few people that we've probably visited several times over the years that are probably uh, you again. But no, most people are pretty good. But I do, like I said, I do believe in it. You know, it's something I do for fun. So, I mean, it's something like, I was thinking when you when you were traveling to Sydney and mm -hmm. Comics Lounge were giving you plenty of opportunity to yep. go to Sydney. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah. would have seen it just the Well, same. to be honest, I wasn't, I don't work directly for the Comics mm. Lounge. It's actually my own business now. Right. And, and in those days, it was another guy's business. So the Comics Lounge almost don't really know what's going on mm. with the crew. All they see is we selling tickets, people are ringing up saying I've got these discounted tickets and they book them in. So yeah, the Comics Lounge themselves like were you know, sort of oblivious to the mm. goings on mm. of the sales mm. marketing crew. But the guys that I worked for, they're well, half of them are comedians. So yes. They're all, yeah, yeah, go, whatever, you know. And I'm the same now. Now that I'm running it, I've got comedians that work for me and anytime one one will have an audition one day, yeah, go, mate, no worries. And it's the best thing about not having to pay sick pay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I would see it as it is an opportunity for you. Same deal with knocking on doors, cold. It's an opportunity to refine your craft as well. Sometimes. To yeah. make, you, make you harder because I would assume that to be a comedian or even to want to be a comedian, the biggest roadblock for anyone is to get up on stage and uh, face the rejection. Yeah. Do you know, it's really weird, but I'm, I've never, ever had a fear of public speaking, mm. ever. Mm. And I'm talking from like my sister when I was five years of age, I remember she's nine years older than me, considerably older. So I remember one time, and I imagine the year would have been around 76, so I would have been five-ish. She had her friends over, and I still remember being up on the couch with five of her friends sitting down below me, so it was like I was on a stage, and I was singing Bohemian Rhapsody to those kids. And that's the sort of thing I was doing as a, as a five-year-old. And it's just, I remember at the age of 10, um, my, my, uh, a friend of mine, Johnny, and I used to hang out with, we, I used to do a joke a really long-winded joke that had the most boring ending, but it was always the story that built up and it built up to nothing. That's, that's kind of like whole, the whole joke, right? It's like your dad, well, something your dad might probably well, tell you. Possibly. <laughs> but the thing is, what made it funny was I would tell the, 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 the words of the joke and I had my mate Johnny next to me doing all the actions. Okay, very and that was the funny part. Yep. And we went to a camp once and we did that in front of all the kids at the camp. And the teachers liked it so much that they made us do it at assembly. So at a, the age of 10... yeah. And then another time, at another assembly, I, I remember reciting a Cheech and Chong skit in front of the grade five. Okay. So, and even then, no shame, did not care. So, yeah, I, I've never had that stumbling block of, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not oblivious to nerves and, yeah. you know, I still get twitchy, but yeah, man, it just never phased me. And I've even got on my new DVD, I've got my second ever gig, he's on there in the extras. Okay. And it's rubbish. Let me tell you, I look terrible. Um, but when I say I look terrible, I, I just, you know, like my manner, it's one of someone who's very nervous, uh, very uneasy, not, not looking comfortable. But at the same time, even now, looking at it now, I still saw somebody who didn't look out of place. It might have been not that funny, well, clearly not that funny. Um, certainly my stagecraft was not, was, wasn't comfortable to watch. But I just remember even now just watching it the other day, thinking to myself, well, it's not good gig, but I just don't look like a stranger to the stage. 
So it's never been a problem. So I've been very, very lucky with that. That was one thing I didn't really have to overcome. You, you mentioned you've never had an issue with public speaking. Yeah. Now, I understand uh, that, but I think you're probably talking yourself down a little bit because I, th I feel there's a big difference between public speaking, for instance, let's say an MC, sure. compared to someone doing comedy. Because right. at the end of the day, the MC comes up and he's introducing someone sure, else. Sure. So they're, they're not there to see the MC. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's only, it's only slightly removed. I, hear, I, I get your point, and it's certainly very disheartening if you're pumping out jokes and you're not getting a response. Yes. Um, and I've been through that phase of my career early on. And all I can say is that now when it happens, I actually think it's funny. <laughs> like if I'm dying up there, I yeah. actually get a bit of a small chuckle about it. Right. Because you can't kill every time. Yes. You just can't. But I also have, you know, over the, the journey, over 20 years, I've developed a few weapons, mate. Mm. Just a couple. Mm. You know? So, when, oh shit, they're not going with me. All right, I'll pull out weapon number A. You know, if you get to D and they're still dying, you know you're, you know you're screwed. Right. right? And sometimes you just got to admit defeat, you know. But in the early stages, yeah, it was it was bad. But I don't know. There's this headstrong side of me that just, whatever the case was, I was determined not to let it beat me. Not necessarily. I wasn't saying no, no. I'm going to be a superstar one day yes. because the fame thing doesn't actually excite me that much, mm. right? But I just didn't want it to beat me. That's the only way I can describe it. You know, it was like a real victory to you know, tame that beast, if that mm. so to speak. You know, so yeah, to get to a stage where I was knowing full well that worst that was going to happen was this and, mm. I, and I'm going to be able to manage from mm. that point, it was, to be honest with you, pretty easy. Um, now, I guess now, it, it, the challenge is obviously to, after 20 years, it's getting really hard to write new stuff, but I just got to, I just, belt my head against the wall until I've got 20 minutes of new stuff within a month or two. You know, I just have to keep going. Because now, now I've got kids though, you know what I mean? So now I've decided, just gotta, I've just got to open it up. I've just got to lay it all bare. This is me, guys. Now I've got these two kids, I can talk about them. And there's, you know, some very personal stuff that I'm struggling with but I'll, to get out there, but I'm determined to and it'll take time. But just as an example, my son, he's autistic. And I know that potentially there's a multitude of comedy there. Mm but I have to find the right way to do it that feels right. And I haven't quite got there yet, but I, it, when I get there, it'll be funny. It'll be cathartic. You know, there might be people sitting there that might be a bit sad about mm. it, but he's not bad. Like my kid's really smart. You mm. know, he's got this, I don't have many autistic kids because my God, when they're onto something, mm. Jesus, they're intelligent. Mm. You know? So, but I, yeah, you know, it's like, it's really easy. Like I could be opportunistic and just pick on him or at least come across as picking mm. on him. And then there'd be people in the audience saying, what a prick. You know, mm. Look at he's talking about his son like that. How mm. terrible. Mm. So that's where I'm, that's what I'm battling with. So every time I come up with an idea, I've got to make sure it really sounds a lot of warmth and a lot of love behind it. Mm. But at the same time, it's got to be piss funny. So how do you find that balance? You know, Is there something that, uh, let's say with the autistic issue, mm -hmm. parents with children with autism yeah. would actually understand where, your, would. where your comedy's they coming would. from? They, they would without a doubt. Yeah. I'd have no problem with how to, if I knew there was a room full of parents of autistic children, mate, I could start now. Yeah. But then the ones that don't have that issue in their lives, how are they going to receive it? And more importantly, are they going to even get it or mm. relate to it? So that's the the other battle is making sure that it's still universal, even though it's about a very specific cornered sort of subject. So, so with an issue like that, mm -hmm. uh, uh, like a bit, you call them bits, yep. material, yeah, bits, that's right, with yep. some a bit like that, 
how, how often would you try that? Because that was one of the questions I was going to ask when you're working on something in particular, not necessarily the subject, the autism. Oh, that's a good question. But actually, actually you've got a, you've got you've something got a bit. Think, some, yeah. Now, yeah. I've had heaps of ideas over yeah. the years that I think I know this is funny, and but it's not working. So, yeah, uh, look, to be honest with you, you you can only do something three or four times, and if by the fourth time it's still not getting a laugh, there's obviously something wrong with it. You yeah. Know? Or, and it could even be just the wording, you know. The joke itself might be great, you know, but or the idea, I should say. But, yeah, about three or four times you put – and it depends, obviously. If you're in front of small, small crowds, that's another factor. But mm. if you do it three times in front of a largest crowd and it's still falling flat, we either got to chuck it out or completely redo it. I mean, one, once or twice is probably not enough. I've had jokes running around my head for years, and then one day the penny drops and I get it right. But sometimes I take two or three years to actually find that moment. I'll give you a great example, right? It's a pretty edgy joke, but it's pretty bloody funny. You may recall, um, well, the, the part of the Carlton killings, you know, or the gangland. Right, yep. Right. So I don't even know if this is actually true, but I remember reading somewhere that Alphonse Gangitano was shot three times in the back of the head, and they called it the bowling ball method. Right. That's, the, that's what I heard. Yep. Right. Now, to this day, I, I think I've spoken to some people that said that wasn't actually the case, he was only shot once or whatever, but... I just remember reading about it being called the bowling ball method. So the joke I wrote was, uh, I think it's uh, kind of pretty stupid how they have to shoot someone three times in the back of the head to create this effect. You know, if they could save a bullet by shooting them twice in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> now that joke was in my head, I reckon, for three years before I finally delivered it one day and everyone laughed like the way I expected or hoped. And I don't know to this day what I did wrong all those first couple of years, but, mate, there was no response sometimes. It just went over people's heads. I don't know. But that was just – I just remember that joke for whatever it is. It's not my best joke, but it's funny. I know it's funny. I don't even know if it's accurate, like right. I said. But, you know, accuracy is not always important unless, you know, at least it's got some sort of truth in it. Our truth is important, I reckon, in comedy. Mm. I reckon. As long as it's got an element of truth, then you can really go to town. I think if you just make something out of thin air that – yeah, it just it can unless you're just super super clever. And there are comedians that are amazing the way they can write. I'm not one of them. I'm not an abstract writer. It has to be really from the heart, or at least something I seem to know about. But yeah, that one joke I remember it haunted me, man. Haunted me for years. So how long did you act? Is that uh, more so than other jokes that you've had spinning around in your head? That is the one that oh, you wanted to one. get a laugh that's out the of. One. That's the one. That's the one. The one. And I don't even do it anymore. Okay. It's just, it just comes to mind now when we're having this conversation that that one joke was like at least three years of like just still trying to rework it, fix it. and I st But I still, in my heart of hearts, said, but it's funny. The audience were thinking otherwise. But anyway, I was never going to be convinced that it wasn't funny, but the audience kept saying, eh, you know, we, 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 we think it needs work. So I just had to keep plowing through it until eventually one day it would work. And I was just, because I just said to myself, the, the idea is funny. I mean, I've got the visual of a guy getting shot twice in the bum. That's funny. <laughs> You know, like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, yes. So I've got the visual. So how do I get the audience to see that as well? Mm, mm. Do you know what I mean? So whatever I was doing wasn't, I feel, wasn't creating that visual, you know? Do your colleagues step in uh, and, and tell you, uh, Gab, this is not funny, mate. you got to let the Genjatano one go. Well, or do they say you can do it, mate? Maybe work it like this. Do they get more involved? The second, they... More the second one, yeah. where you, if, if you know, not too many comedians are. Oh well, that's not entirely true. I mean, I know my friends in comedy will say to me, oh, you know, "Leave that joke out," for example, whatever that might be. 
it's not working or whatever, they'll tell me, yeah, they'll tell me, and I'm okay with that. You know, I don't, I'm not above criticism. Um, but certainly, more often than not, though, they'll try and rework it for you or give you their okay. two cents. Yeah, I mean, more often, they're more encouraging than saying that's shit. You know mm. what I mean? They're more likely to say, yeah, I can see what you're trying to do. Maybe try it this way. Yeah. So is that like a brotherhood? Yeah, definitely. It's um, everyone's trying. And I to... think I think a majority of comedians would like like I talk about clicks, yeah. Mm. But I not I don't think once once you're at a club and there's other comedians there, that clicks sort of broken down a little bit. The clicks mm. ha- sort of happen more at a higher level. So for example, you know whether it be management, festival organisers, those sorts of people, they seem to be having their sort of little little groups. And there are certain comedians that gravitate towards others. But the good thing is, is when you're at a club and you're working alongside comedians, you're all colleagues there. And you tend to have a pretty good environment actually backstage. It's pretty good. So uh, you're talking about running new material. Yes. Now, Comics Lounge actually has a night. Yeah, Tuesdays, w- yeah. Where you can run new yep. material. Yep. It, that is different from new comedians. An open mic night is new well, comedians. No, we, we, is that well, correct? Or? Well, no, both. Because what we do is on a Tuesday night, we have an element of the new comics. Mm-hmm. And then we also allow the pros to get in and run new material. So it's actually all rolled into one. It's, the, it's an open mic night, but it's also allowing pros to come down and try out stuff as well. So are they, um, the, you call your guests the people that come along, punters? guests yeah. uh, fans all of the above whatever punters so, is common yeah. so the punters come in yeah. are they made aware that mm-hmm. this young man is Absolutely. or this young girl it's her first di- time well I MC a lot of those nights yeah. and um, yeah I think it's massively important to mm. bring on a certain comic in the right way so you do your research how long have you been doing comedy for mate a couple of years alright so how many gigs a couple of hundred oh, that's alright well let's let's introduce you as a guy that's been around a little while you know mm. and that yeah, and especially if they're at a competent level, you know, they can they can handle it. But if you've got someone who's jumping up for the second time, this next person's new to comedy, so give him a go, guys. Yeah, please put your head together for so-and-so, right? Mm. Now, you know, it's important, man. You know, you don't get up there and say, this guy's never done comedy before, so he's probably going to be shit. You don't say that, but you at mm. least prepare the audience. And the audience, if prepared, will be more forgiving, and that will actually encourage the young guy or the young girl. And um, I think it's the only way to do it. And that... The audience will give him or her the benefit of the doubt, mm. which they need at that point yes. in their career. Yeah, yes. they need it. Yep. I mean, if they die and they come up to me afterwards and, oh, that wasn't good, I'm not going to tell them, yeah, you did great. I don't lie. Yeah, okay. But I'll just say to them, I'll say, look, keep working. I like, and I might try and pick on a couple of positives that, you know, oh, you, I really like that gag, work on that one, it's really good. You know, I really want to see the new guys go well. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that if every comedian was killer act, then wouldn't be bad for the industry in fact i think it would actually build it mm, mm. that's my opinion i don't okay. think it takes away yeah like in other words uh you know i'm not competitive in that regard i'm more competitive within myself that's yes. why i love golf so much because yes. it's the same you know it's all about you and your own game you know and that's how i see my comedy but if you know if i'm playing golf with someone and their swings all over the place and i can tell them maybe try this mm. same with comedy man so when you're work when you're working it out on stage, yep. let's say when you're up there, yep. are you working out? You have obviously practiced it to yourself, sure, and sure. you think, okay, it's time to get up on stage and deliver. Yep. Are there times when you're actually changing the direction that you're supposed to be going oh, on stage? Constantly, like if I describe the way I perform a show like this, I've got a filing cabinet in my head which has all my material in mm. it, and I'm just sorting through it. So I will pull out one bit like that. Now, like a file, and I look at, oh, yep, I'll do that bit. These guys will like that. I might get all the way through it because they're going with it. I might get halfway through it and think, hmm, they're not really as much into this. And, mm. I, and I'm not talking like, it's not like I'm, I'm saying that they're not laughing and they're not responding. Mm. There's a difference. There's, there's, it's killing or it's going well. Like if it's killing, you keep going. You just keep, you milk it. 
You know mm, what I mean? They're mm. really. But if it's going well, but you sort of know, all right, if I keep this going for a bit longer, they probably will be had enough of it. Mm. So you got to be you got to be prepared. So so then I'll get the filing cabinet out again and go, oh, I'll pull this bit out. And it's look, a lot of my bits do lead into other bits. So mm. there is a certain sequence I do things in, but from gig to gig, it can change dramatically. So also about the new stuff though. I mean, you've got a plan A, B, C to get to the end. The, let's say A, B, and then you think, hang on a sec, I might not be able to jump over to E and then come back. Do to it C. all the time. Do you do that all the time for new stuff? I'm talking. Yeah, about? well, especially if they're loving me. Like if they're having, if I'm up there and I feel as though that I've had some really big responses, then I can, you know, that that's like that's like a good time to try something new, like because they're liking you. You know, they they're actually warm to you. So then, therefore, they're going to be more likely to laugh than if they weren't liking you. If that makes sense, you know. I mean, think about it. I don't know. Let's use a crude analogy, like in sex terms. You know, you're you're, you're with your partner and it's all going beautifully well, yep. and she's responding beautifully. So you just keep going. Right. Well, imagine she's sitting there lying there, going, "Yeah, this is all right." You're going to try something else, aren't you? It's mm. the same thing. You know, you just got to find whatever you know situation. For example, if it's going to the plan, you can stay on the short and narrow. But I like to find that if they're really like, if I'm having a good time up there and everyone's following whatever I'm deciding, then I'll just play around with them i might even start engaging them and talking to them how you go you know so with your actual fans you've got your, obviously your hardcore fans that have been following you for a long time um do you do you feel like um you get to a venue you, you start your show and you have a certain amount of time that that loyalty <laughs> they give you but then you need to well in saying you know that in saying that i mean you know not not being a household name is kind of good in one way because as a comedian who's not like you know, on the, on the forefront of people's minds, most of the people in the room don't aren't familiar with my work or haven't been to see many of my shows. So, you know, I'm not as I'm not under as much pressure, let's say, mm. as say a, a, a Dave Hughes or a Joe Avardi is to come up with something new and fresh. Mm. You know, because a lot of the people haven't seen me. You know, but I do I do find that in the back of my mind, though, I occasionally feel that yeah, if there is a contingent in the crowd that are yeah very familiar with my work then yes, I've got to bring out some new stuff. Mm. And then also worry that if the new stuff doesn't kick, you know, and also if I try and go in directions that I don't normally go, I might introduce a new subject matter that I've never spoken about before. You know, you wonder if you, your your loyal client base or fan base is going to stick with it. So, for example, if I decided tomorrow, that's it, no more wog jokes, I'm done. Mm. Yeah, I reckon, I'd, I reckon a lot would drop off. So, having worked with Joe Vardy, yes, um, you got to call up, come and support me on tour. Yep. Would you say the genre of comedy that you both um, mm -hmm. uh, did do is you do you do go on about your mm -hmm. your background and all that sort of stuff? Now, my, do you get while you're on tour? Because from one, I understand you're on tour together about six years. Well, more. So, in, in actual fact, in actual fact, I. I started working with Joe two, from 2000. Yes. And we we definitely went all the way through to, as you say, six, seven years. But then we've resumed and started again at various points. So, yeah. And I have did a tour with Joe last year. So, yeah. So on and off for 15, if you want to look at it that way. But we did a, a really strong six-year stint, yeah, from the start of 2000. So, yeah. So does he give you, um, like, is it hard not to tread on each other's toes? Not really, no. Because no, of no. the same we talk about that stuff i yeah. mean like you know but at the same time i know he's act pretty mm. well mm. well firstly I, I i never really would try and emulate 
Joe, in many respects, not just purely because I want to be my own act, because that's that's important. But firstly, my, my Italian's nowhere near as fluent as his, mm. so, and mm. so therefore the the bilingual stuff, yeah, I could I can throw in a few words here and there, no problem. But to actually do a whole bunch of slab of material with the Italian or Calabrese dialect would probably that might find me out a bit like what I was saying earlier, you know, trying to talk like I know what all about Italian and I'll probably mess it up and look mm. like a dickhead. Mm. Mm. But also, you know, we've got very different styles when you okay. really analyse it. We might have a similar genre yep. of comedy, yep. but our styles are pretty different. Like, I'm a lot edgier than Joe. Joe's always been family, mm-hmm. kind of PG, yep. and virtually doesn't swear in his show. When I work with Joe, I don't swear either. Mm. Like we we on tour together. But my jokes still have a, a, an edgier element to them than him. And he's the first one to admit that. So I take more risks in that way. Um, but, yeah, like our experiences are quite different. You know, I, I, I don't think well, – for a start, Joe was very close to his grandparents. Me, not so. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Not, they were just you know, not as big a part of my life as what his are. They were definitely big, but not, not – I think my two grandfathers, well, one was passed on before I was born. The yep. other one was – I think I was six – you know, so I didn't really know my grandfather's very well. Um, so, yeah, no, there's just a lot of differences. And as long as, once again, you're staying true to yourself, aren't you? Mm. So I'm sticking to my thing. Oh, mate, look, don't get me wrong. I think I can think of a couple of instances where we had jokes that might have sort of was, had similarities. And mm. he would say, oh, can you not do this joke tonight because I'm going to do that one. It's right. similar. And, yeah, no problem. Okay. Yeah, that's how it was. Yeah, we just worked it out. So there's enough material to Plenty. go around. Plenty. There's enough of a life experiences for a young well, yeah. couple of Italian boys. And as long as you put your own original slant yep. on it. Yep. You know, I mean, and we've all got a story in us. And as long as we get our story out and it's not someone else's story, mm. then it can't be, you know, repeated and the same. I mean, you know, I've don't worry, I've heard it from certain elements of the industry. Oh, the wog stuff's dead. Mm. Yeah, really, mate? Have a look how many tickets I've sold to the Woggy Christmas Buddy. You know, I'm not trying to brag or anything, mm. but if you're going to put it down, mm. you know, I mean, I, I would stop doing that stuff if I, if no one was coming, but they're still coming, bro. You know, until they stop, what do I do? You know, so that's the thing. Like you, you hear the, there's a few snobs, mm. you know, whether it be not just me. I mean, I'm sure there are other styles of comedy that find the same sort of problem. But yeah, I get it. I get, I get that a bit occasionally. You not, you know. I mean, I love I love it when we do a sell-out show and it's a big wog tour and mm. you know, and you get these guys from and say, do people still watch that stuff? Mm. Like, yeah. You know, if Cropless Now was back on TV, mate, it'd go mental. Mm. This is what a lot of people, I mean, they, it never will because these guys all hate each other. Mm. <laughs> right? right, okay. Well, I don't know about hate, but you know what I mean? They don't get along. They mm. don't talk, so they're not friends anymore. So it's, yeah. But if that show came back in some way, even if they did a, even if they did an Acropolis Now reunion, yep. that would rate its socks off. Mm. You know, mm. the... So for anyone who suggests that our style of comedy is dead, mm. I mean, you know, Joe show, sells out left, right and centre. Mm. We did a, wa- a tour last year and this year that sold out, not every single show, but we certainly sold a lot of tickets. We, people are still enjoying what we do. So as long as that's the case, I'll keep doing it. That's it. So it seems like you've got the niche, a niche. Yeah. Well, I think of. you need one. You need yeah. Everyone needs a hook. Yep. You know, some sort of a hook. Otherwise, why are people going to come see you? I don't. Everyone needs a hook, man. Well, speaking of the Acropolis now making a comeback, if yes. you know, and you think it'd be a huge success, I oh, mean, definitely. La- last summer, uh, show come up on Channel Nine, the Habibs. Yes, right. Yes, obviously that lasted about a week and then oh, no, went no, somewhere else. It's gonna come back. There's another series already produced, man. Is it naturally that the haters were gonna come out anyway? Of course, because that of is course. that is. But even saying that now, one of, firstly, I'll speak 
from a you know I have a vested interest in that show because my very good friend Tahir wrote it mm. you know and um, I think <laughs> you know for all the, what I see what I saw as criticism of the actual show comes down to the fact that he was hamstrung a little bit in terms of what they could do with that show so Channel 9 people got it and said well we want to yeah we like your idea and we, we're going to run with it but we've got to get our writers to put their input in because we've got to make it TV friendly as well. Mm. And I just think, to be honest with you, that give, given what I know from the from the background, that I believe that, yeah, they've sort of taken a little bit of the bite out of it by just maybe trying to make it more TV slash, I don't know, PG even, if you want to call it that. So I reckon it's lost a little bit of its edge because of that. That's why I reckon the show probably did not get as well received. It could have been funnier, I think. So, to here being a creator, writer, yes. Yes. how does he feel his baby's been taken off him and, um, you well, know, it does not taken off had him. adjustments well, had adjustments made? We'll put it yeah. this way. How, how, how do you also bite the hand that feeds you? It's a very difficult mm, one. Mm. You know, he, he's also very appreciative of being given the opportunity because an opportunity like that's quite rare. Mm. Like, you know, our industry is very closed. You know, mm. it's not... It's not an open book. I, I could have 20 fantastic TV show ideas tomorrow and I could present 20 of them and 19 of them will get rejected and one will get looked over. <laughs> you know? mm, okay. Like, like it, it's just, you know, it, 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 he's very lucky to have gotten as far. Maybe he just, it's all about timing. Maybe they thought, okay, Western Sydney, Wogs, mate, they got a, there's a big market there. Let's go for it, you know? So, you know, how does he feel though? I think he's slightly frustrated, but more mostly grateful, mm. if that makes sense. That he's on. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as creating a bit mm-hmm. for you, are you walking around with a notepad by your bed just in case you it's, dream of something no, and you turn on? A lot of people don't believe me when I tell them this, but I actually hardly write anything down. I don't believe you. <laughs> well. You don't write yourself an email on your iPhone or something like that? No. You don't scratch it? I'm sure that as a result of that, I've probably forgotten some potential gold. Mm. My My song parodies... Yes, I write those out. And the reason why I write those out is because one of the things about writing a parody of a song is I think it's important to to scan it correctly so that the syllables match the original. Yeah. So word for word and syllable for syllable, then it's got the same melody, same Mm. flow. So then people have no trouble identifying the original. Mm. Um, So writing parodies, yes, I'll get the words and I'll map them out and I'll compare them to the originals and that. But my stand-up, yeah, man, I've like... I've come up with three jokes. I'm, I'm working on a show next year for, for my, well, I mean, my 20th anniversary was this year, but next year I'm sort of carrying it over into doing a, a week of fringe festival shows in Adelaide for celebrating 20 years. And, and it's all about the 90s. Yep. And I've just sat at home the other day just thinking about all these ideas for 90s jokes. And I haven't written one of them down, but I can tell you now they're all in my head. I've remembered them all. So all my stand-up has all been committed to memory, but I've written hardly anything down. I find it difficult to put stand-up jokes on paper because I just read them back and they don't look funny or sound funny, but when I say them, they're funny. Sometimes I'll just write point form just to remember the actual gist of the gag. Mm. But I don't sort of I never write the joke out in full full form. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask you in regards to you come up with an idea, even though you don't write it down in I full form. I might put form, a point down. You put a point to, down to... Like if a joke about come, cats, I might write cat joke. That's it. You know, I won't even put the structure because the structure, I think, can take so many forms. So I just write down cat joke and then I go, right, I remember the original idea, bang, bang, bang get up in front of a crowd and just say it. I mean, last night I 
I, I, I did two jokes that I hadn't written down and they went well. The joke was, uh, I like I liked the 90s. Actually, it was really funny. I, I can't believe I got the laugh. But all I said was, I want to go back to the 90s because, you know, how good were analog phones? You, know, you never had dropouts. Yeah. And everyone pissed themselves. I thought I was just making a statement. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and then I backed it up with, and what I liked to do back in the 90s, I used to like ringing my friends at night because I knew they'd be on the internet and I'd get them kicked out. <laughs> And they were pissing themselves. See, and you know what? I couldn't predict how those jokes were going to go. I had no idea. So that was nice. That's actually a positive one. I mean, I've had the opposite too, where you go, oh, this joke's going to kill, and then nothing. But so you know you know what's wrong now, though? I'll tell you what I stuff up, though, more than anything else. When I come up with a new joke, I bring it to the stage on the odd occasion without working it enough because it's all about wording for me now. Like if I get the wording right, even a lame joke is going to kill if I word it correctly. Yes. So even a dad joke, something really naff is going to kill if I've got it in good structure. You know? And that's the, th that's the thing that last night, maybe I just said those jokes in such a great way. And I reckon I'll be able to reproduce that because I remember it pretty clearly. But I still haven't written those jokes down. They're not on paper. So, so your first gig, did you write much down beforehand? Yeah, no, 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 did that you, one. Did that you one. procrastinate? That for one, no, no, no. Let's go back. Let's go. Okay, I was going out with a girl, right? Yes. And she took me to see some comedy. Oh, you should do that, she said. And I said, no, no, no. She goes, no, I'm serious. You're very funny. You, you'd be a great comedian. I'm like, serious? Oh, whatever. Mate, next thing I know, she's booked me to do bloody open mic at the ESPY on a she Sunday. She booked you? Yes. For free? She went and... She went and rang the guy and got me down. She goes, right, June 30, you're on. What do I have to do? You have to come up with five minutes. So, yeah, of course, I wrote this five-minute set out and I was rehearsing and practicing it. And then I got up and did five minutes of silence. No one laughed, mate. Died on the ass. Still got that too. Okay. I've got that. I've got the video of it. Really? Oh, it's horrendous. Even, I'm even wearing a baseball cap and I've got my head down. Yeah. So my whole half of my face is shaded. It's ridiculous, and I got one laugh early, and that was it. So what? Where was that? Where that was, was at the ESPY. At the ESPY. The second gig. Is that an, sorry? Is that an open micer or what? Yeah, did Sunday Arvos. Sunday yeah. Arvos. They used to do like pretty much. Yeah, it was all a bit of a free for all. You know, they just had a showcase. You know, just guys would come through and do jump up, and that was my first gig. And then seventeen days later, I did my second one at the Star and Garter, which is which was in South Melbourne. And now that's actually the, the Star and Garter spawned the comedy lounge because the guy, the comics lounge, because the comics lounge is the last time people that own the Star and Garter, they, they were kicked out. They moved, start up the comics lounge. So that was about 2001. But um, yeah, I've got that. I put that second gig on the actual new DVD and that one was a little bit better. It was a bit of structure there. There was actually a bit of a routine. So yeah. Was there much, many adjustments made from the first to the second? I don't even think I did any of the same jokes. Really? So you yeah. threw everything out from Pretty your much. first gig? I, maybe, gig. I think so. Yeah, I don't think I did anything. I, you know what? I've watched my first gig recently and I still can't remember any of the jokes because it was that shit. <laughs> well, uh, the question was, did you procrastinate? But obviously it didn't because no. you got booked. I got thrown you in, You got yeah. booked. No, you no got given a date. Yeah, so I'll, it wasn't up to you, Gab. Yeah, I reckon it was um, six or seven weeks I had to get it, get it done, yeah. So she said, uh, "It was uh, if let's say you didn't get booked in your mind, in your heart. Do you think she you would have went up it. on June the thirtieth of that year, or she, would it you've been? I don't know. Still waiting. She, she was driving it. She was driving it. I, I mean, I think back. It's a bit of a blur now. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know. But she was driving it, and she just pushed me into it. And look, the first first gig was terrible. The second one, I went better. Um, I did about ten or so. I remember." And I could, I, I remember seeing her in the audience one day. You could just see the look on her face, like she was, she was dying, with me. 
And to some extent, like I even remember, like she was the one who encouraging to get me into it. Mm. And I do remember that one day I said, I, I think I'm going to really have a go at this, you know, this is really what I want to do. And her response was like, really? Are you sure? So I, I, you know, it wasn't long after that we broke up. But do you want to give her a shout out because she put nah. you on? She put you on the road. Yeah, mate. She yeah, I'm definitely grateful. I don't think mm. I, I, there's every chance I may not have done it without her. Yes, every chance. Every well, that's chance. what I, was I had say. no intent. I had no intention of getting mm. to stand up. Mm. No, she was. I mean, she took me to some shows, and yeah, I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing that she couldn't handle was the fact that once I got a taste for it, that I really, you know, I was pretty obsessive to to make trying to make it work and. Yeah, and she probably thought I wasn't up to it, so therefore she probably thought I was making a mistake. So you didn't harbour, I know, so I don't want to harp on it, but you didn't harbour any ambitions to be a, a, a comedian before no. she actually booked you for that None gig. None at all. Because so, a lot of people would think with anything in life, you know, they think, I want to do this, I want to do that, but they're going to, they're going to, going to. But no. you never actually I never had, had to it. go no. through that. No, no, never. I honestly, I honestly had no idea. But then once I did it, then I had to, I had to not let it, as I said earlier, not let it beat me. I was just very determined to, I don't know, there was a small small voice in my head that said, you can do this, you know, you're not doing it well, but you can do it. So just get it done, you know. So the preparation for your first couple of gigs, mm -hmm. did you have a drink beforehand? Did you no, have see, a cigarette? I, I've never, been, a, I've never coke, been much of whatever. a drinker. Never Nothing. been much of a drinker, no. So were there nerves? Of course, yeah, gr massive nerves. Shitting myself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this... There was no fear of public speaking, but this was definitely different. Yeah, definitely, okay. definitely. So how about today? Oh, you get twitchy because you just want to get on, you know. I get a bit nervous now trying new bits, but I always, I always try the new bits sort of in small doses along the way. So, for example, we've got the show next week. Um, we've got a bunch of new material to do, but we've already tried, George and I, for example, we do a lot of duet work. We've already tried uh, the 10-minute, TV themes routine that we worked on. So we've already done that in front of an audience prior to the actual show, and we know which bits work, which bits don't, or which bits can you know, use a bit of a boost. So yeah, so, so we incrementally introduce these new bits in small doses, and then by the time showtime comes, hopefully we're, yep, we know that works, just go, go hard, you know. So Twitchy uh, to in, in today, 20 years on, it's more like just want to get on, you know. Get on. Is that like being pumped? Kind of. I, ca I can't wait to get on or Kinda. amped. I mean, it's a bit, a bit like being on the first team. Eh? You just want to get the first shot down the road and then go on with your, with your game, you know. A lot of golf analogies here, eh? Yeah. You're off four, so you can talk about golf for as well, long. Well, I love it, man. It's good too. It's such a good game. So self-regulating, you know. Like, you know, what other sport out there? You know, you, you, you're in the middle of the, the trees and your, your partner, playing partners are 50, 60 metres away. You accidentally move your ball. And you've got to penalise yourself. You've got to be honest enough and yeah. go, all right, guys, I moved the ball. And you've got to penalise yourself a shot. And that's the real game. You mm. know, that, yeah, I just love it for that reason. And then the rule book's about like a Bible. It's massive. Is there, mate, what uh, um, similarities do you find with your golf and your comedy? I mean, you can't really approach a game of golf over-amped because, you know, don't you have to be relaxed that's and true. calm? Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I also like the fact that you, you, you don't do a gig for, say, two months, you'll come out stale. Don't play golf for two months, your swing will be all over the place. Although, I've also noticed that sometimes you can play golf five days in a row and by the fifth day your swing's erratic because you're physically exhausted. And I think sometimes when you do seven or eight gigs, seven straight nights, by the end of it, 
especially if you're doing the same show and mm. you're almost sticking to the same bits, you, you almost sometimes go into autopilot, which you don't really want to do. You know, mm. you always want to be ready to go off on a tangent because if, if you're in autopilot mode, you know, you're just doing a joke and then someone could call something out or whatever or an opportunity, opportunity to, um, you know, present a little side joke comes. But if you're on autopilot, you miss that. So you always got to be in present in the moment. And sometimes, you know, with comedy, you can... You know, oh, yeah, this bit's going to kill. I'll just, it's a bit like the movie Click. Remember that? Yes. Yeah, you, you, sometimes I reckon you go into that zone. And that's, and I don't like that, but you're still getting laughs, but you could be doing so much better. So when you've got people calling out, they're yes. calling out generally. So, exactly. They're, they're, they're are hecklers, but they're also calling out for you. They want to hear a particular bit, or do you get more the hecklers nah, being more a the pain hecklers. in the ass? Yeah. More the hecklers. I mean, yeah, I get the occasional, I do the Frankston song or something like that. Yep. Yeah, yep. that happens. But no, nah, it's, more, it's more pissed idiots, you know. Like I had a, I do a bit with um, an African American comedian called Ashley Fezema. He's living here now, and we do this bit. It's very controversial because it's about the N word, right. right? And we do this whole bit about it, right? And he, he's present with. He wrote the thing, so yep. you know, I feel pretty comfortable doing it. Mm. But the other night we had a guy who was of African descent, and when he heard just us mentioning not the actual word, but when I said N word, mm. he started getting angry you know okay and had ashley with me and ashley goes what's your problem bro you know i'm, I'm the guy that wrote this bit mm. you know why are you offended i'm 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 a black guy too mate you mm. know i said hey, he's, he's not saying anything it's me mm. oh yeah and, and and i just said and i actually had a really funny moment i said yeah man that'd be like someone telling me off for calling myself a wog right okay yeah <laughs> everyone pissed themselves when mm. i said that I said, mate, you know, calm down, you know, because he was actually getting angry. But he apologized to us later. So. Right. But that's just an example of a recent event. You know, it happens all the time. Does know. that, uh, what's the crowd, uh, you tend to get the audience um, oh, support often, you yeah, because more there's some guy not. interrupting their evening? You more know? often than not, yes. And yes. in your filing cabinet of uh, right, look, come, back, come, come downs, you got plenty. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, there's a few that we share. There's a few that we come up with ourselves. But yeah, you know, I said to him, the other night too, I said, I remember the first time I had beer too, mate. Can't yeah. Be, you know, see what happens when cousins fuck. Yeah. That sort of <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? We're going to have to change the rating of this episode <laughs> to the explicit now, uh, Gab. We can but beep it. It was the family friendly version <laughs> up until that. But uh, when you say you're going out for seven days in a row, are you generally working at the same place or you're on tour? Well, just out? to give you an example, I'll be at the Comics Lounge for six nights in a row next okay. week. So, And we'll be doing the same show, basically. So. So when said so that people shouldn't be coming Tuesday, no, Wednesday, come. expecting. Mate, if you want to come because you didn't hear the jokes the first time, then come back. Because there's too much laughter, of course. Of course. Yes. Right. Or if you just like it that much. No, but all jokes aside, that's an example of a, we're doing the wild, uh, the Woggy Christmas show. Um, so every night will be roughly the same. So yeah, that by the end of those six nights, I don't get me wrong, there's an element of I'm firing too, you know, like the sixth night, you know, all the songs, mate, we're not... You're not second guessing the next word of the song because you've just done it that many times. Mm. You're just you know going to going to sing it and just belt it out and have more fun with it and actually maybe inflects the jokes even better because mm. you know you know which bits work better. You know which bits you can play up a bit at. You know, so yeah, it, there's a positive side to it, but then there's also that you got to be careful not to go through the motions or get tired. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's the annual Christmas show, so you're obviously doing this every year, mm. the Woggy Christmas. 16 and years now. Yeah. 16 years. So it's December the 18th to That's the 23rd. The, yep. That's at the Comics Lounge at North Melbourne. You've also got a couple of, uh, you got, you're obviously doing George Cabanaris, yep. uh, living legend. He's unreal. Nice guy too, man. Like I know, we all say that about our mates, don't we? But 
the end of the day, you can sort of see that he's had a fair amount of success. He's a very sought-after guy, and yet I don't think it's got to his head. He's still quite humble. But 16 years, everyone wants to see... Uh, you've obviously the material is changing it's not the same. every no. year. Well, this year it must be work. This a lot year, of work. this year. Well, what we've done in recent times to kind of give us a point of reference to ensure that the show's got a different flavour, we theme it now. So last year we did, um, you know, we, we decided to go with the music side of it, mainly new new music. Yeah, so we were doing Ed Sheeran and you know, all the, all those recent songs. Well, this year we've gone 90s. We, we actually, a couple of years ago, we did 80s, right? This year we decided to go 90s because just someone gave us the idea. You know, what about all those songs from the 90s, all those dance songs and all that? Oh, yeah, they were good songs. And the 90s has never really been tackled in a comedic sense. So this year it's all 90s. So we're going to, everything I talk about and everything musically that comes through the show that I'm going to be doing will be 90s based. Okay, so you've also got some um, yeah, relatively new comics. Yes. I mean, Johnny Katz isn't new. He's, uh, He's very been experienced. Around a long time, yes. Yeah. But, uh, but Mimi Shaheen's only yes. been doing it a year. Yes. But, you know, and I'll be honest, normally for something like this, I'd be very, you know, a bit reluctant to, to give someone so green and a go. But, yeah, mate, she can hold her own for 10 minutes and she's pretty funny. I also like, uh, please, I, I'm, I'm the last person who likes affirmative action and all that crap, right? But at the end of the day, I love having a girl in the show too. Mm. Love it, love it. It just adds balance to balance, it. Balance, yeah. Right? And she's, she's, you know, she fits the bill. But what's even more interesting with Mimi is that for years she's been coming to the show. Mm-hmm. Just years gone by. So I don't know if she had aspirations in those days of being a comedian herself, but she, she used to come year in, year out and bring the family in. Now she's in it. So she's kind of beside herself a bit. The other guy, uh, Izzy, he's a Somalian kid. And Talk about balance. Yeah, You're well, really balancing it out well, now. Well, it's really funny because we made a video of him <laughs> carjacking us. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious, right? And it's just his little line that he did as he was driving off in the car. He goes, all right, I'll be in your show. I'm not even a wog, but whatever. <laughs> right? Yeah. But that's great. I mean, Woggy Christmas has had, we've had Asians, Sri Lankans, you know, we've had, we've had Middle Eastern. So it's not exclusive. But anyone who's ethnic, essentially, anyone who's considered not white Anglo, although... A couple of years ago, I even said if I even asked Russell Gilbert if he wanted to do it, and he was almost going to do it. So we would have even had a, a token Aussie in nice. Ireland. Yeah, yeah, but he, 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 this was a few years ago, and it was pretty hard to to bet him down. But at the same time, yeah, I'm open to whatever. You know, we can give the show whatever flavour we want. At the end of the day, though, I, I, I think it's more Australian. I think the Aussies love, you know, bunch of wogs taking the piss out of themselves yeah. as much as the wogs, if not more. Mm. So. Tickets are thirty eight fifty. Yep. From what I understand, there yep. you can have dinner and a show, which yep. is very good value at sixty eight fifty. Sixty, yeah, sixty eight fifty. Yep, I checked right. on the webs on your website, Gab- GabrielRossi.com.au. That's the one. I just updated that recently. I finally got off my ass and made it a bit more up to date because I hadn't updated it for ages. Oh. You get slack. Well, you know what it is. I, I'm so into Facebook. Yeah. So I put everything there, and then I looked at my uh, looked at my uh, web page, and it had my. T- uh, what was it? My bio. Since 2006. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I'll fix that up. So now if you read it now, it'll actually be up to, up to speed. Yeah. Well, I've been doing my research and I noticed yeah. that you've got your DVDs for yes. sale on there as yes, well. Yes, that's So right. you've got uh, the one you brought the out. The box set's coming out. The box set. It's is just coming. No, I ju- you know, just before I came here today, I went to pick up the sleeves for the box set. Very nice. Yeah, man. And you're going to put the three. Three DVDs in. So you got Reservoir Wogs. You, you come out in 2006. Yes. you got the War on Political Correctness in yep. 2012. Did you have 
have a look at the cover of that one? I did see that. Yeah, you noticed I was dressed up as an Arab taxi driver. And oh. I was wearing a real silver top shirt. I, I, actually, I went to silver top to get it. This I, is a true story. I read one of your reviews where the, uh, they, I think Helen Razor reviewed you yeah, as you yeah, come yeah, out did. with a, uh, a silver top taxi yeah, a yeah, cap. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so she was really kind to me, actually. Yep. She gave me a good, I was nervous about her being in the room because yep. I thought, oh, ABC type, they're not going to like me. But mm. she was all over it. She, she really talked it up. And I remember when I went to Silvertop, I said, can I buy a shirt? And they said, no, we don't sell them. And I said, oh, how do I get one? They said, well, they're not for the public. They're just for our drivers. And they go, what's it for? And I said, well, I'm doing a, a character for my DVD cover. He's an Arab taxi driver, you know. Well, you're not going to make fun of Silvertop, are you? And I said, no, no, just Arabs. <laughs> and they, they pissed themselves and they said, here, you can have one. There you go. So and, you're there. You know yeah. what happened though? When I took the shirt home, opened it up out of the package, and you know it already stunk? It comes with BO already <laughs> in it, man. Did you know that? It's already pre done. The BO's already done, man. <laughs> the Silver Top Taxi poster boy right there. And let's not forget to mention this one here, Gab. 20 years wasted. Do you know why I called it that, right? Please tell me. Well, I mean, let's face it. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not being humble, but the reality is, I'm not a superstar. Mm. I've done okay. I make a living and I'm happy flying under the radar doing that. But in the general populace, no one pretty much has heard of me. So I figured after 20 years, I'm still not famous. I've wasted it. <laughs> Gab, the reason I brought you in is this this show or this podcast is called Exceptionals. It's extraordinary people or uh, individual doing no, exceptional things. Well, That's why you're here. You've obviously made an exception to that. Well... <laughs> You are take are you are treading your own path. Trying. And I appreciate you coming out, giving me your time, That's coming right. down to the basement. You're paying me, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll, uh, try and sell you some tickets to your own show or something like that. But we do have information that we're going to put out. Uh, and I want everybody, can they get them at um, the Comics Lounge, the actual tickets, or do they have to go to your website? It's, Ca best, to go, it's best to go to the Comics Lounge website, actually. But they're even available on Ticketmaster as well. So they can purchase either, either on Ticketmaster, Comics Lounge website. If they go to my website, I think that directs them to the Comics Lounge anyway. So, yeah. Everyone's happy. I hope so. Thank you very much for coming no, no worries. today. Pleasure, All the best. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like The Exceptionals delivered to you automatically when our shows are released, then please subscribe to Exceptionals on iTunes. Or you can find us on Facebook under Exceptionals for regular updates. Or better still, go to samnavajiro.com and click onto the podcast page for all our past episodes. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.